Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports show from RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. The Rio Olympics take up the bulk of the program this week. On the eve of the Games, we discuss the future of the Olympics, while Russian doping continues to do its best to take the shine off the event. We'll also hear about how one of our rowing crews came close to getting to Rio. It's Super Rugby semi-finals time, and we'll also hear from All Blacks coach Steve Hansen on his contract extension. And we'll hear from outgoing Crusaders coach Todd Blackadder. The biggest show on earth, the Olympic Games, open in Rio next week. New Zealand is forecast to enjoy its most successful games yet, with one international survey going so far as to suggest New Zealand's team could win 25 medals. But there's also scepticism about the games themselves. Critics say the celebration of the best in sport has been captured by commercial imperatives and tainted by corruption. The games appear to be at the tipping point, as sports editor Stephen Hewson reports. The 1984 Los Angeles Olympics have a lot to answer for in the mind of leading Olympic academic Professor Ian Kalpin, who is the head of the Olympic Studies Academy at the University of Canterbury. They were the first Olympic Games to operate under a commercial model and became the spectacle that people expect today. However, Professor Kalpin believes the Games aren't remaining true to the Olympic movement. He says the principles of Olympism, such as athletes being role models and the adherence to universally accepted ethics, have been ignored by the International Olympic Committee. Professor Kalpin says with question marks over the financial and social sustainability of the Games, there's also a disconnect between high-performance sport and the public. The divide is really created by high-performance sport being captured by the political economy. Athletes are now bought and sold as commodities. They're traded on the open market. And with that comes the notion of money and the temptation to gain unfair advantage. The former Director General of the World Anti-Doping Agency, David Howman, agrees, pointing to studies which asked athletes to what degree they'd be prepared to cheat. Would you go to an Olympic Games uh, and cheat because you're sure of getting a gold medal? but you're probably going to die before you're 25, and a high percentage of athletes say yes, they will. Barry Maester is a former Secretary-General of the New Zealand Olympic Committee and now an IOC member. He says the Games are as relevant as ever, and issues such as corruption and drug cheating aren't problems confronting the Olympic movement alone. The problems that the Olympic Games have are problems of the world. I mean, the Olympic Games is part of the world, and the world is not exactly in great shape at the moment. I mean, there's plenty of issues around the globe that are affecting people that live at this, at this generation. And so the Olympic movement is not uh, immune from that, and it has the same issues. However, Maester remains optimistic about the future of the Games and the role of the IOC. 
It's why the IOC is working, you know, in Israel at the moment to try and get Israeli and Palestinian youth to throw footballs at each other rather than hand grenades. It's why they're working in the Middle East to try and get women involved as giving a fair go in sport. It's why there's lots of containers for clothing for athletes that go to refugees and so on and so on and so on. It's why I remain thinking that the Olympic movement has a place, the Olympic Games are credible and that they're growing in strength. Despite Maester's assertion, Professor Culpin believes the Olympics are at a tipping point. The funding of high-performance sport has reached an all-time high in New Zealand. Over the next year, the government, through Sport New Zealand, will pour $64 million into top-level sport. The goal for the New Zealand Olympic team is 14-plus medals in Rio, which would make it the country's most successful Games ever. But Professor Culpin says the time has come to question that level of funding. In New Zealand, we have child poverty, for goodness sake. We have homelessness. We need to think about what is the benefit of 14 medals versus the child poverty issue or the homelessness. But I don't think we should get to the tipping point. I think we should be be talking about it now. The theory is that winning Olympic medals is good for national identity and inspires people to become active. Although the head of high-performance sport New Zealand, Alex Bauman, concedes there's no evidence of that being the case although he says the feel-good factor can't be underestimated. How much is enough? Uh, not sure, but I don't think we've reached the potential of the system at this point in time. And, you know, our goal for Tokyo is 16-plus. Is, is uh, and then you take a look at some of the athletes that we have in the system, like Lisa, Val. They are role models, and there is evidence of that. Or if the All Blacks win, win, win the World Cup or, you know, when the Cricket World Cup w- was hosted here. I mean, the nation feels good. You know, I, I don't think you can get away from that. Rebuilding the Olympics' tarnished image will be a major exercise for the IOC in Rio. And while Rio will undoubtedly put on a spectacular show, the true test for these games will be whether the label of the greatest sporting show on earth is still valid or if the games have simply become a five-ring circus. Stephen Hewson with that report. Meanwhile, a top sports lawyer is warning that the 28 sports federations who have had to decide whether Russian athletes can compete at the Rio Olympics could face massive damage claims if they ban anyone merely suspected of doping. Mike Morgan is a partner at Morgan Sports Law in London and has acted on behalf of National Olympic Committees at three of the last four Olympic Games. He says the IOC is likely to face multiple challenges from Russian athletes because it has made up rules on the spot. The water code was supposed to bring harmonisation and consistency across sports. Now what you're seeing is a total free-for-all, and it's a return to the Wild West, to what we had before the WADA code, where each federation is making up its own decisions. And the reason we're seeing that is because the IOC decided to create rules on the spot uh, just for Russian athletes. And everyone is interpreting their rules, those new rules, a little bit differently or very differently, in fact. And that's the problem, and that's why, you, that's why we're seeing this mess. Let's look at the implications of this, Mike. You are suggesting that those sports federations, the 28 sports federations, could face huge damage claims if they get it wrong and indeed if they ban people who it later cannot be proved have actually been doping. Yeah, I mean, look, there are two problems. The first, the first problem, the first recommendation from the IOC is that athletes who have previously served a doping violation not be permitted into the games if they are Russian. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that this very issue has been decided before. It's been decided a couple of times by the Court of Arbitration for Sport. 
And what they decided is, is that, look, under the code, under the water code, if you commit a doping rule violation, there is a sanction there. And once you serve your sanction, you come back. You can't then go off and create your rule that, that creates an additional sanction. So, you know, probably you've heard people talking about the term double jeopardy. So part of the problem is that that is not consistent with the water code and therefore invalid. And second, it's, uh, it is double jeopardy. Yeah, because you've done, you've done the crime and you've done the time effectively, and then you're yeah. getting punished again, right? Yeah, exactly. So that so that's the first problem. I mean, and and it's very strange that the IOC of all people of all organisations will be the one to have decided that this is what they're going to do. And I say that because one of the two cases, which has been decided before by by the Court of Arbitration for Sport, was with the IOC. So they had this rule previously, Rule 45, which which was in effect the same thing that if you committed a violation, you automatically be excluded from the next Olympic Games. After the return, after you return from from your ban, and and so CAS struck it down. So it's really strange that the IOC would then go out and make the same decision again, knowing that it's unlawful and knowing that if any athlete has the plan to challenge it in the CAS, it's it will likely get struck down. So that was look, that was the first problem of the conditions. The second the second condition that's a problem for for the IOC is this idea that if Mr. McLaren if you're an athlete somehow being named or implicated in some of the findings from Mr. McLaren, then you automatically be excluded. And, and that's a huge problem. It's a huge problem because we, we know that if, if there is a suspicion of doping or there is evidence that someone may have committed a doping violation, we have a system in place to deal with that. And the system is that you get a chance to review the evidence, you get a chance to respond to that evidence, produce counter-evidence, and you get the opportunity to go to a hearing and have it determined by a fair and impartial tribunal. Now, what they're doing here is they're saying, well, we're just going to exclude you from the Olympic Games without having reviewed the evidence. And there's a big problem here because we don't know the fact that your name might be on an Excel spreadsheet that Mr. McLaren's been handed. The athletes may not know they're on that sheet, on that spreadsheet. They may not know uh, that they were in this class of protected athletes. And what we don't know is if you were on a class of protected athletes, we don't know necessarily that the athlete has in fact been doing anything wrong. So it may have just been that their samples were being monitored. And if something popped up in the sample, then it may have been protected. Those are the allegations. But we just don't know enough about it, and the athletes certainly don't know enough about it, to, to be able to defend themselves. Yeah, so Mike, what would your advice be then to one of these 28 sports federations? Throw it back to the IOC, make the call yourself and face these potential huge damages, what should they do? Exactly, that's exactly it. If I was advising the International Federation, I would say don't go near this, just hand a list of athletes, if, if they're on the McLaren list on from the McLaren reports, doesn't matter, leave it to the IOC, let them make the call on it and let them face the consequences afterwards. If you do exclude someone and then it turns out after the game that there wasn't any evidence or any sufficient evidence that they've committed a violation, that's where you're exposed. Sports lawyer Mike Morgan talking to Guyane Espiner. And the New Zealand men's four went through quite an emotional ride this week as they continued to train in the hope that they would get to Rio. They were next in line if the Russians were banned. However, the sports world governing body gave permission for the six Russian athletes eligible to compete to put together a men's four for the Games, which they accepted. That ruled the New Zealanders out, as Rowing New Zealand's chief executive, Simon Pedersen, explained to me. We've had formal confirmation from uh, the International Rowing Federation that the Russian men's four will be entering the regatta at the Olympics, thereby discounting any opportunity for the New Zealand men's four. 
How do you feel about that? Oh, we're very disappointed. I've just come out of a meeting with the athletes and their coach. Uh, there's, there's huge disappointment, obviously. There's also a little bit of sense of relief because this has been dragging on now for some time. Um, we made the right decision at Rowan, New Zealand to call these guys back six weeks ago. That has been justified. And I'm incredibly proud of the, uh, the comments from the athletes that um, were supportive of that decision, how this has all played out. Yes, what have they had to say, the, the athletes? The athletes are um, very uh, respectful of the reason why we called them back. They're respectful of the, the past six weeks and the communication we've had with them. Um, and then they've obviously expressed their disappointment overnight, but we've discussed what, what are the options from here. The athletes, the coach, myself, uh, believe this is the end of the campaign. There's no um, legal process that we're looking to entertain. Um, and given the timelines involved, um, you know, the athletes will now take a, a decent break and come back and be ready to go for the next uh, next Olympic cycle. Are you happy with um, the process that the International Rowing Federation went through? Well, there's two answers to that one. And, and I'm, firstly, I'm very impressed with our International Federation and how they've um, taken a strong stance against um, with banning four of the five Russian crews. The one area yesterday that came out was allowing six Russian athletes to be able to cobble together a men's four um, contrary to the FISA rules of being able to change more than 50% of the boat after it was entered. Um, they provided an exemption to that um, that rule uh, to allow these Russian athletes to compete. So we're very impressed with the strong stance they, t- they took and we're very disappointed with how they've provide- allowed that exemption rule to be applied in this case. It sounds like a, I don't know, personally for me, it sounds a little bit like a compromise in a way. Yeah, it does look that way a little bit, and I only learned this overnight around the, the application of the exemption rule. Um, it does seem that we are on the losing end of that. Um, four other um, crews around the world have got the green light and are going with the banning of the Russian crews, and unfortunately our New Zealand men aren't. Having taken all of that in, though, you feel that uh, really this is the end of the road, though? Yeah, we've had that conversation with the athletes. Um, I think the last couple of weeks has lacked leadership uh, in sport and I think people need to make decisions and not hide behind process. Um, I talked to the athletes about what processes could be available to us if they wanted us to follow them. And we came out, uh, the four athletes, the coach and myself, in agreement that this is the end of the road. We believe it's the right uh, thing to do to shut this down now and to allow the focus to be on our wonderful athletes in Rio. We're very proud of our rowing team. Uh, how they represent New Zealand around the world, uh, and we're very, very much looking forward to supporting their campaigns in Rio now. So, will you be letting the world body know just your your thoughts on the whole whole process? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we've let them know how impressed we were with the strong stance they took. Um, I've given them initial indications of our disappointment around the exemption rule application, but we'll formally be writing to them and letting them know that. And uh, the guys in the four, uh, have they sort of said uh, they can sort of put their feet up now and perhaps, perhaps watch it, or, or or are they a bit sort of frustrated? Oh, um, I don't think a row ever puts their feet up. They seem to be, when they go on holiday, they seem to do some marathons or Ironmans or, or, or walk-up mountains or something. So they they know that they've got a, a small break ahead of them now. Um, they've already asked that question about what the, what the next expectation is around um, making the summer squad, as we call it, for the next um, Olympic campaign and the next um, 12 months of rowing. So, no, they'll be taking a break. But I think in this situation, it's much as a mental break as it is anything else. This has been pretty, very tough on on them as athletes coming to the lake every day, not sure whether there was going to be any purpose to to their training. 
uh, when he out come to their training. Uh, and so now, at least today, provides some clarity for them. Rowing New Zealand CEO Simon Peterson, and you're listening to Extra Time. Our rugby reporter correctly predicted the results of the four Super Rugby quarterfinals last week, so we've got him back again to look ahead to the semi-finals, with the Hurricanes hosting the Chiefs and the South African side, the Lions, hosting the Highlanders. So, Joe Porter, tell us about the local derby. The Hurricanes, of course, beaten finalists last year, have a home semi-final against the Chiefs on Saturday night. They've bracketed Dane Coles, the all-black hooker, to start in the front row, although it's very unlikely he will play. It's expected he will miss this match, so that's a big blow to the Hurricanes. However, they should still beat the Chiefs at home. The Chiefs have injury issues of their own and have had to travel all over the place during this playoff se- during the playoff series. They've just come back from Cape Town where they beat the Stormers, so they've had to travel a lot. I think that travel will take a toll on the Chiefs and the Hurricanes should make their second consecutive Super Rugby final. Yeah, perhaps um, the Hurricanes are showing you know a lot of consistency and they're getting good control in the halves. Yeah, that's right. Bowden Barrett has really stepped up in the last five or six games of this season. He's stamped his mark on that number 10 role and is looking more like a starting all-black first five every week. TJ Pedernara, overlooked for the all-blacks, of course, in the Welsh series, has had a storming last end to the season. His decision-making has come on in leaps and bounds, and he's really directing the game well from halfback. So he's in career-best form also. And, of course, the Hurricanes have got an outstanding uh, loose forward trio. But, uh, Joe, I suppose if any team knows how to come through the playoffs, uh, it's the Highlanders. Uh, they've got a big task in Johannesburg, of course, against the, uh, the Lions. Yeah, the Lions beat the Crusaders last weekend in the quarterfinals. They stay at home again to face the Highlanders this week. The Highlanders had to travel last weekend to Canberra to beat the Brumbies. However, they were smart. They stayed in Australia following that result and then went straight from Canberra over to South Africa to do to Johannesburg, so they minimised the impact the travel will have had on them. Like you say, if any team can win travelling away from home in the playoffs, it's the Highlanders. They went through last year's playoffs all the way unbeaten away from home, including winning the final in Wellington against the Hurricanes. So if any team can do it, can go away and win knockout games, it's the Highlanders. And I'm expecting them to get up and upset the Lions in Johannesburg. Uh, is it going to be open? You know, of course, it's a day game in South Africa and the Lions are one of the few South African sides that, you know, open it up. Um, can can you see it being a high-scoring game? How do you see it going? I imagine the Lions will try and produce the, this high-speed, pacey game they have this season, which has been quite different, like you say, to the other South African sides, simply because they'll be trying to run the Highlanders ragged. They'll think the Highlanders are travel-weary. They've had a couple of close, tough matches in these, this last run to the finals where the Lions have, have come through their games relatively unscathed. So I think they will try and just run the Highlanders absolutely ragged at altitude and, and try and, I guess, replicate what they did against the Crusaders and really just run them off the park. The Highlanders, on the other hand, they will, again, always play a high-speed game. They have some incredibly powerful loose forwards and a back line that's running incredibly smoothly at the moment. So I don't think they'll shy away from, from playing an expansive game and, and going to meet the Lions head-on in that sense. However, they will be feeling it a little bit because of the travel and the fatigue, so they may not want to keep it quite as fast as the Lions do. That's our rugby reporter, Joe Porter. The All Blacks coach Steve Hansen signed on with the New Zealand Rugby Union until the end of the next World Cup this week, saying the chance to win an unprecedented third consecutive William Webb Ellis Trophy was an offer too good to refuse. Hansen has extended his contract, which was due to expire at the end of next year, through to the end of the 2019 World Cup in Japan. Hansen has 52 wins, two draws and just three losses from his 57 tests as All Black coach, 
and helped New Zealand become the first team in rugby history to win back-to-back World Cups. Hanson spoke to John Campbell about why he wants to continue in the role when he's already achieved so much. Yeah, well, after after winning the World Cup and and uh, questioning myself whether it was right for the team, if I continued, and you know, as we got closer and closer to the Welsh series, I got more and more excited and and uh, hungry uh, for more. And um, you know, in the series itself, uh, you know, really understood that. Uh, I wanted still to be part of it and um, really grateful for the opportunity to be there and didn't really want to let it go from you know my point of view. So um, once I established that my family were happy and, and uh, the team itself were happy uh, and, and the union wanted me, it was you know, really a no-brainer. Because in a way, the, the job changed, didn't it? Because up to the World Cup, you were... And forgive me, I'm I'm being very one-dimensional here, but you were managing brilliance. You were managing McCaw, Carter, Nonu, Smith, Woodcock, and then suddenly they're all gone. And so you're starting again, and you're starting again with guys who are raw talents, who have enormous potential, Adi Savia, for example, but who are young and unproven. So it becomes a different kind of job, does it? Yeah, it does, and and like that's why we've said we're re-establishing ourselves. We're not starting afresh though, and and you know the whole management group can take a bow in the way we've gone about the planning and and the readiness for for when that group of people you've just mentioned, uh, you know, eight hundred and eighteen test caps, I think it was, have moved on, and you know Rido uh, is now our most capped player at about uh, I think he's in the eighties and. You know, he wasn't coming in fresh as captain. He had already had nine test matches. So the young raw talent had something uh, to wrap itself around when it came in. And it's going to be you know, a really interesting year and a challenge for us to continue to strive for, for greatness. And, and um, you know, what we get out of it will be what we put into it for the year. And greatness matters every game, doesn't it? I mean, if, you, for example, you're playing a dead rubber against Australia, that odd Bledisloe Cup fixture that kind of stands out on its own, how do you tell your players, this matters, we have to be great in this game too? How do you constantly reinforce that? Well, I think it's understanding our identity, which, you know, therefore moulds into our, our legacy. And, and, and our legacy is about... Uh, honouring the jersey every time we play it and pull it on and every time we train to put it on. So um, there's no such thing as a dead rubber. It's it's an important occasion uh, to play a test match for the All Blacks and therefore you've got to honour it and, and do it right and therefore you know, you've got to try and be better than you were the last time you did it. You also have worked on the whole notion that better people make better players. And I... And I Having observed you, because obviously I love rugby and I watch it very closely, I think you've worked hard on yourself, haven't you? Because you could be quite a prickly bugger at first when you first took over. You know, you could be a, a little bit annoyed by the media and slightly short-fused. Have you worked on that? I mean, forgive me for putting that bluntly, but have you worked really hard on being better yourself? Well, I think I think you're right. You know, um, I, I am... It can be a little prickly and still can be, but uh, given the right circumstances. But, but Brian Lahore was the first person to talk about better people making better rugby players. And, and, and you know, we as a group 
uh, understood what he meant and, and have stri- strived to, to do that. And, and if you want other people to do it and you're the leader, then you've got to do it yourself. So every day I'm trying to be better than I was the day before and um, I don't think I've stopped learning as a coach and uh, you know, that's a good thing because I must improve if I want others to improve and you know, I'm looking forward to doing that. Yeah, how do you do that? What, what, what is it you do? What, what are the things you're working on to become a better coach? I mean, you, you know, when you've coached 57 games and you've won 52 of them, and of the five games you didn't win, two were draws. I mean, that's an unprecedented record. So how do you improve on that? Well, the first thing is you acknowledge to yourself that you need to. And, and then the second thing is it's a choice. You know, you, if you want to be better, you can be because you, you know you can go out and and continue to learn and and strive to be better. And um, learning something that comes firstly within yourself, and then being open and flexible enough in your thinking to hear other people and hear their views. And um, that, that no one is the finished article, and you know that's what stops you. If you think you you've arrived, then all of a sudden uh, you're going to run into the back of the bus and and go no further. But this group of people, uh, myself included, we, we, we don't believe we've arrived where we want to get to. We, we, we've still got things we want to do, and, and we, to do that, we have to be better. Obviously, so, yeah. obviously the 2019 World Cup is, a, is a, because, you know, no team has ever won two in a row, so obviously it goes without saying that three in a row would be quite extraordinary. Can, can I, just before we go, and it's been lovely talking to you, can I just ask you about what must be one of the most wonderful moments in your job, and that is telling a youngster that he's in. Is that magic every single time? Well, the, the ironic thing is, uh, yes, it is. But the ironic thing is, I don't do that. Uh, either either um, Darren Shand uh, or Gilbert Anoka, are two managers, they they get to make that phone call. My phone calls to tell somebody's missed out. But it is a special moment when you see all the players arrive at the hotel for the first time, and and even the older guys coming back in and and uh, seeing the, the look on their face when they're getting their gear and at the first team meeting when we're talking about you know, what our expectations are and uh, it is special. It's a special environment to be in and, and it's a real privilege to be given another opportunity to continue to do that. So looking forward to it. It's Steve Hansen talking to John Campbell. The outgoing Crusaders rugby coach Todd Blackadder is heading to England having signed a three-year deal with the club side Bath. Tambai Matson, who was Blackadder's assistant at the Crusaders is joining him there having signed a four-year deal with the club. Blackadder's eight-year coaching stint with the Crusaders came to an end when the side lost to the Lions in the Super Rugby quarterfinals in South Africa at the weekend. He spoke to our sports editor, Stephen Hewson, and says there's lots to look forward to. probably helps a lot knowing what it's like over the year. It is different to you know, Super Rugby in New Zealand, so you sort of go over there with a little bit of experience behind me. One thing I'm really looking forward to is the just the structure of the competition. I think it'll be really quite different um, without travel of super rugby and all the challenges that that poses. So that's quite attractive as well. What else do you think is going to be the biggest difference for you? Oh, I think it, just the style of play um, in the conditions. I think it'll be quite different. You know, super rugby's open running rugby and, you know, just sometimes over there with the weather conditions, it'll be different. And, and the style of the game might just, will be uh, slightly different. So just making sure that you know, you don't create too much change. It's not super rugby. It's it's in the premiership, and and that'll have its different challenges. But 
a really good challenge as, as a coach because you've got to go in there with a, um, a really fresh perspective and, and uh, make sure that we can adjust as quickly as we can to the style of play that you know, hopefully we'll, we'll Bath will be successful at. What were your other options? Did you put your hand up for the, the Queensland Reds job? I certainly had a, um, a couple of discussions earlier on um, with the Reds um, and that was a really attractive offer. But, you know, first things first, um, the Bath job was on the table. So, you know, I, I've sort of known it for over a month now that, I, that I'd signed and, and that's where I was going. Um, and I just didn't want it, want it released with all the speculation. I didn't know it would be a, um, a distraction for the team this year while we were, you know, trying to win this competition. So were you offered the Reds job, were you? No, 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 just initial discussions. Longer term, I mean, Steve Chews obviously talked about the, the next all-black coach possibly being involved or likely to be involved in the, the 2019 World Cup campaign. This contract goes for, for three years. That's, or is that part of your, your long-term goal, the, the top job? Well, I think one day, but for me, it's just really around going away for, for three years, you know, still learning and developing and, you know, hope to come back as a better coach. And that's what the wonderful thing about the opportunity that I've had for the last eight years with the Crusaders um, was to, you know, I've really developed and I've really learned and I feel like I'm a better coach now than what, than what I've ever been. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But no, I wouldn't say that that's part of the plan. I, I just think three years over at Bath would be good. And, you know, if I decide to come home then, it will be to come back to coach back in New Zealand again. It could be a more team cup team or still involved with Super Rugby or even as an assistant, you know. It'll be, but I certainly want to come back and get back to New Zealand. How, how tough is it going away from the Crusaders without having won a Super Rugby title? Oh, it does feel tough. But we gave ourselves every chance, you know, like we've had, we've been to a couple of finals. You know, just not quite good enough on the day or, you know, the rub of the green or a little bit of luck just hasn't, hasn't gone away. But you can only give yourself, you know, you can only say that you gave it absolutely everything you could and I certainly uh, did that. And that's just life, I suppose. What are you going to miss most? What I really miss is the coaches you know, and the friendships that we've developed um, and, you know, all those little things that, that make the difference um, because we've put a hell of a lot of work into it uh, and um, haven't always got the... The rewards for the for the management team, the organisation that I know that they deserve because they work really hard. So I'll miss that. There's some things that I won't miss either. I can promise you that. Which are? Oh, just the uh, the scrutiny at times. You know, it can be it can be get very personal, and which is just part of the job. But it's the it's the darker side of it, and and it probably affects your family a lot more. So I'm, I'm looking forward to. So getting out of the spotlight a little bit and sort of, I think probably more my family will be pleased as well because some of the stuff out there can be pretty brutal and nasty. Todd Blackadder talking to Stephen Hewson. And that's extra time for this week. You can keep in touch with us via Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.